All right, let's go 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and while you're turning there, I need to tell you thank you. Um, last week, uh, Katie and I were not here. The kids were not here. Uh, Jim did a great job. Uh, I definitely listened to the podcast. I asked several people what they thought uh, and all those kinds of things, and he filled the pulpit well last week. Uh, the reason why I wasn't here uh, was because uh, Katie's parents are missionaries in Ghana, West Africa. Uh, they are stateside right now, and every year, once a year, they have an annual big fundraising gala, and that happens in February in Southeast Texas, uh, because that's where the, the lion's share of their, their support group is. And so uh, Katie and I both serve in ways in their ministry. Katie's their financial officer. Uh, she handles all their bookkeeping. Uh, and uh, it's kind of important when you're talking about major fundraising events to have the money person at those events. Um, I kind of serve as a creative and pastoral voice in his leadership structure. Uh, and so I got to stand in front of a, a group of about 150 people that support their ministry and open up the Bible and say, this is why we do what we do. And so uh, that's, a, that's something that God's given me the ability to, to pour into. And um, it's this great thing. Uh, the, they pick a, uh, a different target project each year. And so in the past they've done, like they, they've got some schools that they run. And so uh, they don't have protein for the meals that they serve in their schools. And so a couple of years ago they did like a, a project where you bought a table and you bought a cow. Uh, that kind of deal. And so that cow got used to put protein in a bunch of kids that don't get protein on a regular basis. All right. Uh, last year it was clean water because they have this water well ministry. This year, uh, the project that they identified was a Bible translation project that they're working on for an unre- unreached people group called the Ligby. The Ligby are a people group that are mostly in Ghana, but also in uh, Cote d'Ivoire to the west of that and Burkina Faso to the north of that. And they're, so they're kind of all over the place. They're a predominantly Muslim group. And this is really weird situation where they have an oral language, but they don't have a written language. And their culture is fading very quickly. And so uh, they, uh, they see their, their, their young people leaving their culture, leaving their area, learning Arabic, learning English, whatever, and leaving them behind. And so this predominantly Muslim culture approached my very evangelical missionary in-laws and said, hey, would you write our language now? And as a part of that deal, they're going to make a Bible (laughs) and teach them how to read it. And so at this fundraiser gala last weekend, they raised uh, the next three years of that project's budget. So Bible translation, if you do it right, is somewhere between 15 and 30 years long. Yeah. Because not only do you have to create a language, you have to create a literacy program, right? You have to, what good is a Bible and a language if you can't read it, all right? And so this is a this is a 25-year project, and they, they fundraise the next three years of that project at this event Saturday night. And so what you need to hear me say in all of that is this. Thank you for being a church that lets your pastor go serve God's kingdom in other places. See, God has promised that there will one day be Ligby around his throne, and I'm, I'm of the opinion that he's going to use a Bible translation to do that. So thank you for letting me be a part of that. That was a culture here that existed long before I walked onto the scene. It's one of the things that made Nashua Baptist Church appeal to me. And it's why I sent y'all a, a resume, all right? All right, so uh, that, that, that's not something that's new because of me. That's a culture here that's been long established. And it's something that we're going to continue to run with, all right? Because at the end of the day, while we're gonna do great things here, God's kingdom is far bigger than what we see here, Right? So thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's get on to what we're going to talk about, though. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
We are now in safely off the ground with a sermon series that we're calling On the Same Page. Uh, and so those of you who might be new, the premise is simply this. We're walking through special vocabulary words that are thrown around in the life of the church uh, for the purposes of defining them, right? because those words carry weight. There's people who come into this room and are a part of this faith family uh, that come from very different walks of life, who uh, different uh, church backgrounds and religious backgrounds in some of those cases, and, and definitely experiential and cultural backgrounds, myself included. I'm one of the newest people here. And so uh, when these massive weighty words in the life of the church are thrown around, it's, it's in everybody's best interest to be kind of thinking along the same lines or, as the slide will say, on the same page. That's how that works, all right? And so major words. And even though we have been in this series for over a month now, we've looked at two words so far. Gospel and scripture. And so two weeks ago, we talked about scripture for the very first time, all right? Uh, we talked about how scripture uh, or the Bible or God's word or whatever, whatever name you t- or title you want to attach to it, we went with scripture because it's weighty and has some, some depth to it, all right? That, that scripture is the, pri- that the primary reason that God gave us the Bible, gave us scripture was to what? Teach us about himself, right? And so we looked at John 5, and we looked at Luke 24, and we talked a little bit about Hebrews, and, and the, the, it's not just a New Testament reality, it's an Old Testament, it's an all-Bible reality. The purpose of the Bible, in and of itself, the reason why God gave us the Scriptures so is that he could unfold who he was to us. Does anybody in here think that that's the only reason God gave us the Bible? No, there's lots of other reasons God gave us the Bible. And while we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks talking about it, we're just going to spend one. So, here we go. We said a couple of weeks ago that, that, that Scripture is about Jesus. But this week, when I say Scripture, I want you to be thinking useful and sweet. Useful and sweet. Two things, right? Two things I could have spent two different weeks talking about, but instead we combined into one. You're welcome. (laughs) But here's the thing. Do those things feel like they belong in the same description of the same thing? Like useful, it's... That appeals to a certain type of person, right? Utilitarian, it's got a purpose. There's usually structure to it. And then sweet is, it's gratuitous, right? Like, like sweet is good, but you can get by without sweet, right? And some of you have doctors telling you you need to get by without sweet right now, right? Some of you are ignoring that advice. <laughs> yeah, useful is this thing that appeals to a certain type of person. And then you got sweet that's like, ah, sweet is good. And those are very different definitions, and they seem awkward to be talking about the same thing, right? In fact, they almost seem like they're in conflict with each other. I'm going to argue this morning that not only does the Bible describe itself as both, but we actually desperately need both. When I say Scripture, I want you thinking useful and Sweets. Second Timothy chapter three. I'm going to cough real quick. Second <clears throat> Timothy chapter three, 
in Second Timothy is widely believed to be the last thing that we have written from the Apostle Paul. Uh, he is in a Roman prison when he's writing this letter awaiting execution. Now don't mistake it with the other time Paul was in prison uh, in Rome. Uh, we believe he was in prison three times, or at least three times that we know of, once in Philippi and then twice in Rome. The first time he was in prison in Rome is essentially a house arrest. He had people he could, that could come and go. He had visitors all the time. He sent lots of letters like Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon during that time. All right. Uh, and, and so he eventually gets out of jail or out of house arrest in Rome and he goes on what we think is his third missionary journey and then he gets arrested again. And then he goes back to Rome to prison. But this time, uh, we believe him to be in what's called the Mamertine prison. If you go to Rome today and do the tourist thing, uh, you can go visit the Mamertine prison. They, be- they believe that not only was Paul in prison there, and- but also Peter was in prison there. And the thing that made Mamertine special was it was death row. It was the last stop before Rome took your head off. All right? And so Paul is awaiting execution. He knows the deal is going to go down. Yes, God could do something miraculous, but Paul's of the opinion that, okay, God's done with him. He's served his purpose. God has done what he has called him to do. In other places in his writing where he's confident he'll get out of jail, he believes that God's not through with him yet. And here, he's, he's pretty confident that God's done with him. All right, And so he knows the deal is about to go down, and so he writes a letter to his protege, Timothy, a disciple, or another place in the Bible, he calls him a son in the faith. So it's somebody he loves dearly, right? Somebody he wants to see succeed. So the most appropriate way to read the second letter to Timothy is a one last thing before I go kind of conversation. I think all of us have had a conversation like that, right? Some of y'all have had incredibly weighty versions of that conversation. You got one last chance to, to sway thought and to instill value you got one final opportunity to get them to see correctly and spur them on to success. And how they hear matters. It matters deeply, right? You don't waste words in that moment. You don't phone that one in. Everything counts in the one last thing to say before I go conversation. That's what Second Timothy is. He wants to see Timothy be successful. He's a pastor in Ephesus. He's a young guy compared to everybody else he's working around. And he's got one last little bit of advice. And so in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, Paul is midstream in this conversation. And in the first part of chapter 3, he tells Timothy that the culture around him, and therefore the people in his church that are living in that culture, are going to begin to grow more and more self-focused, and therefore more and more sinful. All right? And then in verse 10 of chapter 3, he says this. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, 
and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So let's call time out there for a second. Paul says, hey listen, I know that the world is going to be falling down around you, but you have me as an example. I probably don't get to say that, but the Apostle Paul, I guess, can. And if anybody's got an example to follow, anybody voting on Paul? I'm in. Like, like if, if, any, if we had the choice of any non-Jesus person, all right, of, hey, that's a good guy to model our lives after and try to pursue Jesus well, who are you going with? And Paul says, listen, Timothy, you watched me do what I do. You watched me walk in faithfulness. You watched me endure persecutions and also celebrate the, the victories. You've got the example in front of you. Follow it. You've got what you need for success. Paul tells Timothy, follow my example. But that's not the only thing Paul told Timothy. That's not the only thing Timothy has in his back pocket for success. The next thing Paul says is, that you were brought up understanding the what? Here he calls them the sacred writings. It's, it's just another way of saying the scriptures. So we talked two weeks ago about how when the story of Jesus walking to Emmaus, uh, had, the New Testament hadn't been written yet. And so when Jesus starts talking about himself in the scriptures, he's not talking about New Testament stuff, he's talking about Old Testament stuff. When Timothy was a little boy, guess what they had? They just had the Old Testament. Like, at the time this letter is being written, several things in the New Testament have been, have been written and they're being circulated. They haven't been compiled into a canonized New Testament yet, but they've got some copies of that. But that's not at all what Paul's talking about. He's talking about, talking about the scriptures he grew up learning. He grew up memorizing. Grew up being instructed in. But look at verse 16. He keeps going here. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So Paul says, hey, hey you know how you want to walk in successfulness and, and be faithful to Jesus and, and know what you need to know to not only trust Jesus, but live in a way that's pleasing to him? Scriptures. He says that all scripture, like how much does that cover? I mean, I know it's a dumb question, but we play these games sometimes, right? We got these parts of the Bible that we really like and these parts of the Bible that so we're, we're sometimes embarrassed of. We've got these parts of the Bible that are really easy to, to latch a hold of and, and really comprehend, and there are these other parts that are, man, they make you feel like a moron. <laughs> Am I the only one? Man, there's stuff in the Bible that just dumbfounds me and I have no idea. I get paid to do this. <laughs> there's parts of the Bible that, that when we follow them faithfully, they make us seem attractive to the culture. There's parts of the Bible that when we follow them faithfully, make us seem very unattractive to a culture. Paul says, all scripture, 
And he says it's been breathed out. What in the world does that mean? The Greek word for breathed out there is theonoustos. You want to know how many other times it happens in the Bible? Zero. You want to know the reason why? It's not a real word. <laughs> it's not. You will not find the word theonoustos anywhere else in the Bible, whether we're talking about the New Testament or we're talking about the Greek version of the Old Testament. It's nowhere. And the reason for that is because it's not a real word. Paul took two words, theo, meaning God, and noustos, meaning breath or spirit, and he slammed them together and said, there, you can't do anything but like, deal with that. Like, you can't ignore it. You can't move on and say, oh, well, the context is a little funny here and the syntax matters. No, he took two words and he smashed them together to prove a point. And the point is this. That when we talk about the scriptures, we're not simply talking about words on a page. We're talking about something that is given by God for an express purpose. To accomplish something. The word theonoustos doesn't appear anywhere else in the Bible, but there are other times in the Bible where it talks about God breathing. One is in Genesis 2 when God breathes the breath of life into who? Adam. The other time is in John when Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit on his disciples so they can go work some miracles for a weekend. That's it. (laughs) So the examples that we have in the Bible of God breathing are life, imparting of God, and here's the scriptures. (laughs) Think that matters? (laughs) Yeah, it probably matters. Yeah, it probably definitely matters. Paul says, listen, they are given to us for an express purpose, for a grand, glorious purpose. And if you look back at 16 and 17, for it are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. I don't know about you, but that sounds like incredibly practical stuff. Anybody getting excited about training in righteousness? How many of y'all look forward this weekend to a big old bunch of reproof? Can't wait to get on that correction. It's incredibly practical. In the same way a good textbook would be would be. Man, I love textbooks. You don't? I could lose myself for hours in a textbook. And there are two types of people in the room right now. Those of you who identify with me right away and those of you who think I'm crazy. All right? Now, I love textbooks. I'm the guy who can turn on the science channel and get lost in how it's made, uh, how it's made marathon for days. Anybody else? I once showed a video of hot dogs being made for a sermon illustration. It's coming. <laughs> Man, I'm such a nerd. I love making sense of things. I love putting the pieces together and figuring out how A fits into B and causes C. Man, I, I get all over that. I love a good textbook. Now, there are some that are just terrible. But you usually find that out pretty quick, right? But man, the, the good one that actually teaches you something and helps you understand the world around you, man, I, I absolutely adore that day. 
In verse 17, Paul says that the man of God may be what? Complete. The tone there is that is brought to maturity. Not simply putting all the pieces together. It says, you want to be a good grown-up Christian? You'll find it here. You want to grow in your understanding of who God is? It will not happen outside of the scriptures. It just won't. If you want to understand who God's or understand what God's will for your life is, He's going to use the Bible to unfold that for you. Not in the weird way that makes the Bible a roadmap for your life. I, I hate that phrase, just to be honest with you. The Bible doesn't tell you who to marry or where to work or where to live, but it will it will affect principle and it will change what you value. And in that way, you want to understand God's will as that value and that principle shapes what you chase after in this world? Yes and amen. You want to know God's will for your life? Guess where you find it. Do you want to walk in a way that's pleasing to him? His word is given to us for that express purpose. If you're a nerd and you love Jesus, the Bible is an incredibly wonderful gift to you and I. It's incredibly wonderful. But some of y'all aren't nerds at all. And you're laughing at us. The Bible's also sweet. Psalm 19. Psalm chapter 19. It's a psalm of David. Let's see the other side of this coin. Psalm chapter 19, we're going to start reading in verse 7. The psalmist David says this, The law of the Lord is, what's that word? Perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. This is my favorite. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. Now, I don't know about you, but doesn't that sound a lot like 2 Timothy 2 or 2 Timothy 3? Yeah. I mean, it's more the same, right? I mean, who starts out their poem talking about precepts? Do I need to define what precepts are for you? Rules. <laughs> the rules. David, the psalmist, the tender-hearted shepherd, the harp player goes, your rules are awesome. David's writing poetry about God's rules. About God's law. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Is, is David the man after God's own heart? The feeler instead of the thinker? Sounds like a very academic poem, doesn't it? But he keeps going in verse 10. More to be desired are they than what? 
even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. David says here that God's word is sweeter than the drippings of the honeycomb. Slightly more poetic than really sweet. Right? I don't, I don't often think in those pictures. Sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. So I grew up in Texas, as you can tell. There are things that I am absolutely falling in love with when it comes to Nashua, New Hampshire. All right? Uh, food is up there. There's the people, the, the weather even, like... I don't know how this last weekend, last few days happened, but woo. All right, so here's the thing. There are, there are countless things that I'm saying, man, I love that. Oh, I'm so happy we moved here because of that. But listen, I'm just going to be real honest with you. There's also things I miss, all right? All right? And, and that's, just, that's just the way the human heart works, right? And so uh, I, I love you, but I will never trust any of you to make me Mexican food. <laughs> I love you, but nah. All right? I don't even trust you to give me Mexican restaurant recommendations. All right? And it's not because we got a problem. It's because I kind of know your taste buds by now. And no thanks. All right? But here's the thing. There are things that I absolutely adore about where God has put us now, but there are also things that's probably best not to compare them. Right? One of those things? Sweet tea. Like, even if you go to, like, a big chain, like a, like a Chick-fil-A or a McDonald's that has sweet tea, where the recipe should probably be the same no matter where you go, it's still not the same, all right? I, I swear, people in their corporate offices are like, nope, those New Englanders can't handle it. Let's pull back the reins, all right? But if you grew up or you were born and raised, like we say it at, at, you know, down in my parents' house, all right? if you grew up where I grew up, every living grandma makes something that you could replace the syrup on your pancakes if you really had to. Yeah. You're shocked. No. <laughs> every lady in their 60s and 70s and 80s. And as soon as grandma dies, she better be passing that on down to mama. All right? It's kind of this weird cultural thing that if you're a woman and you don't know how to make sweet, sweet tea, people look at you a little funny, all right? No, every grandma can make this stuff. <clears throat> it's so sweet that if, if I were to drop you in the middle of my grandma's kitchen on a thirsty day, your system would probably go into shock. I'm not kidding. If you're not used to it, if you're not used to it, it may be hard to swallow. David says, God, your word is sweeter than honey in the drippings of the honeycomb. Anybody want to crack open a little bear right now and take a swig? Anybody, anybody brave enough to drink straight honey for a while? Like, you can maybe handle a spoonful. You'd probably prefer to put it on something, but nobody's chugging the little bear. <laughs> There's probably some young man in here going, I'll do it. And then we would all have a good laugh when you realized it was a terrible idea. All right? 
David doesn't live in a world where, where cane sugar has been discovered yet. He doesn't live in a world where Splenda's been invented. You got everything else, and you got honey. It's literally the sweetest thing he and his audience can wrap their heads around. Literally the sweetest thing. He says, no, 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 no. Your word, it's like honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Everything you can imagine as tasty, as good, as sweet. David goes, no, 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 Your law is better. It's sweeter still. It's more satisfying even still. Oh, hear me in Nashville Baptist Church. If you want to experience beauty and life and the pleasure of God that goes far deeper than just putting the pieces together. If you want to suck the marrow out of this life that he has given you, it will not be found somewhere other than the scriptures. Feast on them. He has given them to you for an incredibly satisfying purpose. Can you experience God through a sunset or through waves crashing on the shore? Yeah. Theologians call that uh, general revelation. The idea that you could stand on the seashore and watch the waves smash against the, uh, the sand and you can get a, a, a feel for the power and the strength of God. Yes and amen. That's a theological truth. You can look up at the stars in a, on a clear night sky and get a, an idea, a picture of God's vastness, of his bigness and his gravity. Theologians call that general revelation, but theologians also have a term called special revelation. That God unfolds who he is and what he has done and what he calls us to do in a specific place. Guess where? The scriptures. Do you want to make sense of God in a world around you that deeper than just explanations? Do you long to connect with your creator that is deeper than mere words about him but dives deep into the unfathomable of his personhood? He is pleased to unfold himself to you in his word. So how do we respond this morning? For some of us, it's that for the very first time we're hearing about a God that not only can be known, oh, but hear me, church, wants to be known. Maybe you've seen him as this faraway thing that didn't really matter and didn't really apply to your life. Maybe he had some bearing on some things. Maybe he was a good guy to come to when you needed something. No, 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 no. This God is personal. This God is right in your face. He says, know me. Know me. And if that's you this morning, man, we can help you. We can help introduce you. We can do something about that. In a second, I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. And the whole point of that time is to allow you an opportunity to respond however God's calling you to respond. Not to throw in an extra song. It's a chance to give you to process and make sense of things and determine to, to do certain things that... that the distractions of the outside world will quickly take away from you. It's a chance to process.
So if you're here this morning and you don't know him and you want to know him, let's talk about that. What does that look like? It looks like this. Your sin separates you from this creator. That's what it does. We can, we can go cosmic or we can go personal, but listen, my pile is pretty big and I bet so is yours. Our sin separates us from this creator, but God in his love and in his mercy and in his grace towards us, in his plan that goes from before the foundations of the world, decided to do something about that. And so he sent his son, Jesus, to live a life that we could not live and die a death that I deserve to die instead. And through Jesus' death on the cross, the Bible teaches us that he pays the penalty for the sin, for the sin debt that we owe. And that if you repent of that sin and come to him as Lord, he is pleased to make you his. So if that's you this morning, we're going to pray and we're going to sing. be a chance for you to respond. Come talk to me. We'll work that out. Maybe you're here today and you... You responded and identified really, really well with about half of what I said. The other half... Not so much. Like, the idea of the Bible as this rich textbook that you could never plumb the depths of is intriguing to you on a, on a, in a way that just lights you up. But the poetry stuff? Nah. <laughs> Maybe you're the one who responds well to beauty and to, and to color and, and all these beautiful pictures that the Bible unfolds about God and, and our place in his creation and the other stuff is, well, that's just academic. If you're the analytical guy, what I would say to you this morning is this. God is far too complex for you to simply dissect him. Oh, he's, he's bigger and deeper and more beautiful and more eternal. And you can study and study and study until there, is, there are no more hours left in your life to study and you will never cover everything. But listen, he is not a science project. The most valuable thing you can do is open up your Bible this week and, and read some poetry. Taste and see that this Lord is good. If you're the artist, our God is true. And he desires to be known as he actually is. Can I be honest with you? Your best imagination fails you. He is bigger and deeper and more beautiful than you, even in your artistic expression, could ever imagine. And if you are selling him short, good luck. Art is a good thing when it points people to true stuff. Make sure it's true. So if that's you, the most valuable thing you can do this week is open up your Bible and figure out who this God actually is as he reveals himself instead of things that are less so. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. 
You respond however God calls you to respond. Father God, you are good. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for 2 Timothy. And thank you for Psalm 19. Oh God, when we think of your word, when we think of scripture, may we be thinking both useful and sweet. God, how quickly my heart leans to one or the other. How quickly I run to you and dive in deep with the way that's most comfortable for me, but would you also, would you also create a hunger in my heart for the other? Would you create a hunger and a thirst in my heart to, to chase after you as you truly are, but to chase after you in ways that are far deeper than just explanation? God, ultimately, your scripture is useful and sweet because you yourself are useful and sweet. It's a reflection of your glory. And as we use this incredible tool that you have given us to chase after you, we get a picture of who you are. So God, I pray that those who need to come to you for the first time this morning will have the courage to do so. That you would pull away the distractions and pull away the excuses and help us see for the first time that that you are worthy of our chase. And God, would you create a hunger in our church to find you and find your will for us on the pages of the most blessed tool you saw fit to give. So in your name we pray. Amen.